Hi, joining us right now on our premier Chevrolet of Carlsbad fan hotline, author of the Joe Sheehan newsletter covering Major League Baseball on a daily basis. And uh, I have not talked to Joe in a while. I met him uh, probably 20-plus years ago through our mutual friend, Craig Elston. Uh, Joe, it's good to have you on with Ben and Woods here on 97.3 The Fan. How you doing, man? Good, man. Long time no speak. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while. And uh, you, you've been writing about the Padres a lot more lately, as has... Well, as has every baseball yeah. writer. I yeah. mean, I grew up, and it was hard to find any national Padres coverage throughout my entire youth. No one cared about the Padres, maybe the most afterthought of a team in Major League Baseball. But now, uh, it seems like on a daily basis, we're seeing uh, news stories, opinion pieces about the Padres. And uh, you're no different in your newsletter, uh, especially this last one. Well, they've made news. I mean, you go back to even 2015 when they hired A.J. Preller and he had that big winter where he traded for Matt Kemp and really tried to accelerate the process. I mean, the Padres have been what we'll call a relevant team now for close to a decade. And this latest cycle, you know, starting with the Manny Machado signing and on through uh, trading for Juan Soto and uh, trading for Hugh Darvish and now, of course, the Xander Bogart signing. I mean, they've, they've tried. They've not said, oh, well, we're a small market. And to me, guys, I think it goes back a little bit to the transfer over to, to Peter Seidler has been a big part of it, but also being the only team in that city, I think gives them a unique position in baseball. They are the only baseball team that is the only major sports franchise in, in, in the city. I guess you rank San Diego sports franchise. I believe they have a soccer team, a lacrosse team, San Diego State basketball and football. But really, there's nothing in baseball like what the Padres have in San Diego. I think they're trying to take advantage of that. Yeah, it's smart business. I mean, it just it makes perfect sense. And the business of baseball is something, Joe, I've been following you for a while. I am a subscriber to your newsletter. It's fantastic. I recommend everybody go subscribe. Uh, well worth it, man. And, you know, the, the you, you talk a lot about the business of baseball. And it's so funny, man, to see, like, so much consternation about what Peter Seidler is doing across the country. You know, you've heard other owners name check him, you know, at this point with Dick uh, Monfort talking about, you know, what Seidler's doing and what Cohen's doing. But um, what is it? What are the implications of that? Because we're already hearing about special meetings and they're going to be, you know, diving into the business of baseball and how it's currently constructed. Yeah, there, there are two parallel conversations happening. One is that you have owners who are treating their team like the, a, a toy, if you will. Um, that, that's a little too flippant. But it, this is the way I think a baseball team should be run. A baseball team isn't a business. A baseball team is the thing you buy after you've made all of your money in your primary business. The idea that a baseball team has to make you know, 2% a year, it has to, make, has to be in the black, is silly for a couple reasons. One, because, like I say, that's not the purpose of a team. The purpose of a team is to win championships. The second is that all of the value in having a team comes when you sell it. It accumulates value. You look at the franchise values, they're steadily going up. The next time a, 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 somebody who buys a baseball team and doesn't make money on the sale, then you can call me. But it hasn't happened in, <laughs> I don't even, 35, 40 years. I mean, you, you really got to go back to almost what amounts to prehistory in baseball business at this point. So if you buy a baseball team, I really don't want to hear about, oh, you know, the players cost so much. If you can afford the team, you can afford the players. So stop we got to stop talking about these rich guys like Bob Nutting and uh, uh, Bob Castellini. And, and Mark Atanasio in Milwaukee hasn't really been that guy. He's on out and he's tried really hard. But any of these guys who own a baseball team and complain, complain about their lot in life, I really don't want to hear it. If you're rich enough to buy a baseball team, stop feeling sorry for these guys. Talking to Joe Sheehan here on Ben and Woods this morning. Would the casual fan be 
absolutely blown away by what a baseball owner like you know Bob Nutting makes, uh, or or what the the Oriole, you know, the Angelos family. Would we be blown away by what they actually are able to pocket with revenue sharing, TV deals, and then? You know, scrimping on free agency and and not paying their players, letting the the great ones walk. Certainly, at the low end, uh, if you look at teams like the Rays, the A's, the Pirates, um, this isn't 1993 anymore. We have a robust system of revenue sharing in Major League Baseball. The top end, the the Yankees, the Dodgers are putting in about seventy, eighty million dollars a year into the kitty. At the bottom end, the the Reds, the Pirates are collecting about that much. That's just in local revenue sharing. That's not the national TV money, which is about $65 million a year. That's before you sell a ticket or you cash in the big tickets. Remember, they sold um, BAMTEC, which was the spinoff from yeah. uh, Baseball Advanced Media, for, what was it, $2 billion over a couple of years. So everybody collected about $60 million from that. I mean, that was just free money. The players didn't get a cut of that at all. So, yeah, I think that I think the reporting on this has gotten better. I think we... If you look at the last 15, 20 years, you look at the influence of places like baseball perspectives on this. I think the reporting on the finances of baseball is better, but a lot of it is intentionally opaque. The teams don't want you to know what the revenue sharing is. I'm kind of, you know, I'm giving you what we estimate the, num- the numbers to be. But I think if we had a published thing every year that showed that the Pirates get $60 million a year in revenue sharing, that would change the conversation. Yeah. So the fact that the, the, the finances of Major League Baseball are intentionally opaque helps the owners because they can just say whatever they want. Oh, we lost $150 million last year, and nobody ever says prove it. Joe Sheehan of the Joe Sheehan Newsletter with us here on Ben and Woods. And, I, you know, I had a bone to pick with that revenue-sharing story uh, last week when it was reported that the Padres will be paying other teams because of revenue-sharing this year. They've, they've pushed revenues so high in San Diego with ticket sales, anticipating near-sellout crowds for all their games, yet they've done it without – a, a single dollar increase in their local media revenues. Those are those are pretty fixed uh, a bit by your market size, Joe. And, yeah, the Pirates are never going to be equal with the Yankees when it comes to the dollars that they bring in before they've sold a single ticket each year. And I, I kind of understand uh, the, the purpose of sharing some revenue when it comes to evening out that money because the Yankees can't play games without having some opponents in smaller cities. So... What what do you see as the future in terms of, you know, how they can make that work? You can force, you know, say force the teams to spend some money, but players are opposed to a salary floor because they say it'll lead to a salary cap, and they don't want that. So how do you force smaller market teams to then spend that money that they're being given in revenue sharing? Um, well, the original rationale for local revenue sharing, which by its existence does lower the pay scale, um, was that the, these teams would spend it. But there was no mechanism. It was just, oh, just trust us. And one of the things we've seen over the last 15 years is that you can't. Uh, the, the owners will basically put, you know, spend, some owners will spend the minimum. This is an owner's problem. This isn't a baseball problem. This isn't a player's problem. This goes back to Bud Felix's commissionership, where he essentially, owners were picked by and large by their willingness to sign on to this idea that, hey, look, we're not going to go too fast. We're not going to compete too hard. We're going to have revenue sharing. We're going to try to get a payroll cap or significant payroll restrictions. We're all going to kind of be on the same team. So you have a class of owners that came in during Bud Selig's reign and now kind of buys into this idea that we're not going to run too far or go too fast. And it's largely an owner's problem because as we've seen, 
if you put owners in place that want to win, they want the next win more than they want the next dollar, it's not a problem. Steve, the Dodgers and Mets are interesting because both teams were tentpole franchises that were sold under duress. So MLB couldn't really pick and choose. They had to sell to you know the next guy with with a check. And in, in Dodgers' case, it was Guggenheim Partners. In the Mets' case, it was Steve Cohen. In the Padres' case, it was kind of an ownership transfer, as I understand it. Um, I, I can't forget the gentleman who was in charge beforehand. Ron Fowler Seidler and then was, Peter Seidler Fowler. came in, yeah. Right. So it wasn't a situation where there had to be this you know, a sale and approval. So you have situations where owners got hold of franchises either you know without signing on to that thought process, without signing on to saying, hey, look, you know, we're not going to gonna uh, spend too much money. So now you have this rump faction of owners um, you know, uh, Fisher and, excuse me, uh, Fowler, uh, John Fisher in, in uh, Oakland or Stu Sternberg in Tampa. And Tampa's complicated because they win. Like, how angry can you get to a team that wins 95 <laughs> games, games a year? But, you know, this, this stuff is not easy. And it's going to get more complicated because the, the second part of these, this committee that's going to happen is going to have to address the revenue, sh- excuse me, the, the revenue problems now in small markets. Because even a Pittsburgh or St. Louis, or, excuse me, or, or Cincinnati, or a Phoenix, they're still bringing in for 30, 40 million a year, even more, in uh, local media. That may be about to change. And we're now going to see an internecine battle between the large market owners who don't really have this problem. Yes, network is fine. SNY is fine. The Dodgers network is fine. And all of these Bally Sinclair teams that are about to lose their money. That's actually a real problem, and that could create a, a war among the owners over the next four years. That's so fascinating to me. Talking to Joe Sheehan here on Ben and Woods this morning. Last one for me, uh, Joe, that you go. Saw the, you, you sent a tweet last week or uh, over the weekend, tapping out on all pitch clock conversations until June. I'm going to ask you to have one more, one more quick one uh, <laughs> with, uh, with us here on, on Ben and Woods. Um, the pitch clock, I, I, I said game one was like, it was, it was so speedy. It was so weird to see. Uh, I guess I might have gotten used to it over the last few days, but um, your, your kind of overarching thoughts on that. We're not going to know anything until June because we already know that that the pitch clock speeds up games where people don't care about the results. Look, I know it worked in the minor leagues, but you don't have a PCL fantasy team. You didn't make any bets on the Eastern League last year. You don't yeah. really you, – I couldn't ask you a single major, minor league score last year. Yeah, fair enough. The, the purpose of minor league baseball is skills development. I think there was a 4-2 nice to two game, Joe. I'm pretty sure. 3-1 yeah, to one maybe <laughs> in there somewhere. No, you know, I looked it up. There was no 4-2 game. Ah, dang. No, I want to know when games actually matter and people care about the results and it affects their fantasy team and their bets and all the other stuff that we care about in the majors, that's when we're going to see the rubber hit the road. And you know what? That doesn't happen in Florida in February. So I also want to see how pitchers react when the relievers are throwing three times in four days, when starters are having 30 pitch innings. None of this is going to happen in March. So as I say, I, I don't. I don't want to hear that it makes the games faster. It's always going to make the games faster. I want to know what the other effects are that are going to be the big issues here. So, in June, talk to me when we've had two months of highly competitive baseball under the pitch clock. Then we'll be able to gauge the results. Finally, uh, do you think the Padres have done enough? I know there are other great teams in the National League. Have they set themselves apart at all from from the moves they've made this off season? Yeah, three days ago, I thought they were a pretty solid lock for a wild card spot. And obviously, the Dodgers are retrenching, trying to get under the payroll cap. Um, it looked like it was going to be a really good race between those two. 
The Gavin Lux injury, Gavin Lux is a three to four win player, but he's so critical to that Dodger team, the section I'm writing today, in terms of being left-handed and playing short and just all the things he does. That, I think, actually flips the National League West now. You look at the Padres as a 92-93 win team. The Dodgers might struggle to get to 90 wins now. So I have the Padres, and I'll put out my official stuff in about three weeks, but I have the Padres winning that division as of today. Good stuff, Joe. That's Again, great, man. Uh, it's, Thanks uh, so much. com. You can sign up for the Loot Newsletter, get all this kind of information every single day. Joe, really appreciate it. Thanks, fellas. Take care. Joe Sheehan with us in our Premier Chevrolet of Carlsbad fan hotline. Save money the right way with Premier Chevrolet of Carlsbad. Visit them today in the Carlsbad Auto Mall Chevrolet. Find new roads.